So I want to ask a similar question to the country question, sure. which is if we were aliens <laughs> and the only movies to come through our spaceship were Hitchcock movies, what is this world like? Uh, <laughs> I would say it would pretty much be like the scene from the matrix where agent Smith says humans are a disease and, you know, eventually earth is going to come up with a way to wipe us out. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, and we probably deserve it. Uh, I think the way that we treat each other in Mr. And Mrs. Smith warrants all the birds and the birds to do what they do. So you think that it's worth turning the spaceship around if all we know about humans comes from Hitchcock movies? Uh, no, I think it's still worth coming to Earth because you'd probably be like, oh, yeah, it's temporary. And then once you get to Earth, you're like, oh, no, it's much worse. I think <laughs> you would wait into, until you got closer to Earth to turn it around. And Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think that if we were aliens and the only movies we saw were Hitchcock movies, then the choice is clear of what human we need to abduct. We need to abduct the pretty blonde women because there's always something going on with them. Yeah. Um, they do seem to to catch Hitchcock's eye for sure. Right. So I, I feel like it would be only logical for me as an alien to be like, let's get Tippy Hedren because clearly she controls the forces of nature. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would want to meet. <laughs> I would want to meet these women. I'd be that, that would be an interesting conversation, an interesting date. Right. An, an intergalactic date. All right. Well, let's get started on our intergalactic date. Are Necromancer. Necromancer. I'm Shira, and I am a fan of romantic comedies. I'm Brett, and I am a fan of horror movies. Every week, Brett and I get together. He makes me watch a horror movie. I make him watch a rom-com, and then we like to flip-flop around those movies and turn that rom-com into a horror, and the horror into a rom-com. This week, we are doing our first director-themed episode. We've done actors and actresses in the past. As we talked about in the beginning, we've chosen films by country. That's not even including the times where we talk about specific themes like abduction, which is very common across both genres. <laughs> Uh, but I'm really excited that now we've finally gotten around to a director who has done both genres. And it's not like this is unusual. So Hitchcock is obviously an older director, but even people like Rob Reiner, who did both When Harry Met Sally and Misery, yeah. clearly has a grasp of going between romance and horror. Uh, and there are other people that I haven't named, uh, but those are the two that, that are sort of closest to my mind. What do you think you learn about a director 
when you see them tackle different genres like this? Uh, I think you just see an interesting way to mix up the genre. Uh, my, my favorite example of this is Hannah and Joseph Wright. He, uh, you know, he directs Pride and Prejudice. He directs uh, the, the, uh, the Atonement. And so he directs these period piece yes. drama romances. He's amazing at period pieces. He and Kira Knightley are like Leo and um, Scorsese. Yeah. And so, I mean, the the last thing I would expect from this guy is a movie like Hannah that completely reinvigorates the action genre because it's not trying to imitate all of the action movies that came before it for the past 10 years. It's just thinking, what would be an interesting way to shoot this scene from a different point of view? And so I think that's really interesting. Um. And I think Hitchcock, you know, Hitchcock is just one of those directors who knows what makes a good movie. He knows what makes a good movie. And whether he's writing uh, something that thrills and chills or something light and fluffy like Mr. and Mrs. Smith or uh, I haven't seen it, but I imagine The Trouble with Harry uh, is he has a really good way of bringing people together in a way that feels believable. Like the meet cue between Melanie and Mitch in the birds feels very natural, just like the sort of easy intimacy between Mr. And Mrs. Smith. He does a good job, I think of making these people feel believable. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. I think it's a lot harder in Mr. And Mrs. Smith because those characters are actively doing things that are trying to repel each other. Whereas the chemistry, right. Whereas the chemistry in uh, the birds, I don't know, like it's kind of, it's kind of really creepy what, <laughs> what Tippy Hedren's doing, but I buy it. Like I, I want her to play a goof on him and I want him to like seduce her, but I don't know. Like it's, it's fun. It, 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 it carries the movie. For the first hour. (laughs) It feels though like when Hitchcock shows us love between men and women, it's often a kind of hostile affection because Mitch and Melanie are hostile to each other in a way that's very subtle, but is absolutely there. Whereas Mr. and Mrs. Smith are openly hostile to each other. And even in the way in Rear Window that James Stewart and Grace Kelly interact there's kind of this underlying hostility and aggression there that even if it's not on the surface, it's it's still there. Like really in rear window, Grace Kelly is trying to get James Stewart in line and get them moving (laughs) on to the next stage of their relationship. But nobody ever says exactly how they feel in these instances. The women are very sly (laughs) about the way they make their intentions known until there's absolutely nothing the men can do but fall into their arms. It's very Venus flytrap. Yeah, this both of those, even all three of those movies that that we're talking about now for Thrown in Rear Window, they're all about a game of chicken. It's all about who's going to crack first. And in almost every movie, it's like, yeah, it... 
should be the guy. It's clearly he's he's doing something wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think in most instances, I think with with the important exception of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, in The Birds, in Rear Window, the guy is the one who cracks. Well, actually, no. The Birds, that's not necessarily true. I don't know. It's hard. That one's a little bit murkier. But typically, right. the guy is the one who ends up having to fall in line and having to adjust in some important way. Yeah. Um I agree. So which movie do you want to do first? Uh, I'm conflicted. Do you have an opinion on which one should go first? No, I'm happy to talk about either movie. Uh, how about The Birds? All right, let's do The Birds first. So yeah. you were trying to choose between The Birds and Dial M for Murder when we talked about this theme. And I'm curious, why not Psycho? Oh, uh, ah, Psycho is, Psycho is just, that's just one of those movies that I feel, even though The Birds is talked about a lot, like, it's The Birds, it's a, it's a movie about birds that attack each other, it's weird, it's, it's a fun conversation, but Psycho, I don't know, like, that's, I feel like I could fit Psycho in, in, like, much later in our, in we our do drag. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I Plus I love the birds, man. Like I, I thought that you were bored by the birds or almost bored at the idea of it. I'm sorry. I'm being very challenging <laughs> on this episode. No, I mean, it's, uh, I don't know. Like I, I think the first hour is just, is, is a weird movie, but it's compelling and then I think the second hour is like a mic drop. It's like, yeah, you you wanted to see a horror movie about birds? Like, yeah, here's a horror movie about birds. You want to know they're badasses. You want to know what you just made me think of? I'm not sure if these movies have ever been uh, discussed in the same conversation, but what you just described describes exactly another movie that I think you really like, if I recall correctly, from Dust Till Dawn. The first part of From Dust yeah. Till Dawn is this weird hostage thriller. And then suddenly it's like, oh, yeah, and there's vampires. Right. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think about that, but that's perfect. Yes. <laughs> uh, there's, an, there's a sequence that's like basically halfway through this movie that I think is one of the best sequences in any movie of any We're talking about the jungle time. gym, obviously, right? Yeah, it's amazing. So, I mean, we'll get to it when you're going through it, but it's amazing. So when I was uh, choosing between this movie and Dial M for Murder, it was this movie because I've seen it, I love it, and it is a heavy-hitting, top-tier Hitchcock classic. And then Dial M for Murder I've never seen, so I'm like, oh, well, maybe I could use the podcast to see it. Uh, and so I, I basically just chwazied for it. And if you guys don't know what chwazy is... Go to your app store and download it. C H W A Z I. It's like a kind of like a random coin flip app, and it's great for making decisions like this. 
I actually, it's not a love bite. It's just a general wreck, but I have to agree with you on Chwayze. You and Sonia were the one who brought that to my attention. And I'm an extremely indecisive person and it makes it a lot easier. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. It sounds like let's go ahead and get into it so we can talk about this and other scenes. There was, uh, when we get to it, I'll, I'll mention it, but there was another scene in the birds where the way that it was filmed I thought was really it was really nice but it you know it wasn't a moment that I would have noticed when I first watched this movie uh, all right so Melanie Daniels a flighty heiress to a newspaper tycoon goes into a bird shop to ask if they've received the mina bird that she ordered. While waiting, she appears to be mistaken for someone working at the pet store by Mitch, a lawyer, looking for a pair of lovebirds to give his sister as a birthday present. Melanie pretends to be a worker so she can flirt with him, but then he reveals who that he knows who she is, and he doesn't really care much for her. And he says that he'll see her in court because I guess Melanie is the kind of girl who gets into a lot of legal trouble because she's like a party girl. Uh, And then this is just foreplay for Melanie ultimately. (laughs) And she decides to find out who Mitch is and where he lives. And then she goes to his apartment the next day with the lovebirds, the audacity Uh, Mm -hmm. and his neighbor tells her that Mitch has gone to Bodega Bay for the weekend. So then Melanie just decides to drive up to Bodega Bay in her fancy Aston Martin. So it just, without telling us anything at all about Melanie, simply through the way that she talks, the way that people respond to her, it's clear that this is a girl who does exactly whatever she wants all the time. Yeah, even the way she drives. I mean, she's tearing it down those, you know, like sidewindy. Yeah, back she's going down the PCH, yeah. really, really going for it. And I, I thought it was a really funny touch to have the lovebirds leaning into the turns with yeah. her. Um, and it's funny because you know Hitchcock is master of suspense but he has a really nice touch when it comes to humor and that's i think one of the things that made carol lombard want to do that movie with him mr and mrs smith um but you know he hitchcock can be a funny guy too yeah. Uh, so she gets to Bodega Bay. She asks the general store owner if he knows where Mitch lives. He points to a house across the bay. She also asks about Mitch's sister name, sister's name, but the shop owner isn't sure. So he tells her to go to the school teacher's house. And, you know, this entire sequence could could have just been left on the cutting room floor, but we are forced to see every single inconvenient step that Melanie takes to meet this guy. And it's clearly intentional. Um, yeah, we meet the townsfolk. We, you know, we get a sense of the town and, and the pace of life. Yeah. But the fact that we have to see every single step of her manipulative seduction is an, it's an intentional and it's an interesting choice. And any other director would bore me to death with a sequence like this. But Hitchcock finds a way to make it interesting. There's all these tiny little details like the owners and the townspeople disagreeing about Mitch's sister's name. Uh, Mm -hmm. It all, it all comes to life very well. 
So Melanie goes to the school teacher's house uh, and the teacher and Hayworth confirms the girl's name is Kathy. And it's also really clear that both Mitch or sorry, both Anne and Melanie are into Mitch. Uh, And then so Melanie goes back to the dock. She takes a boat directly to Mitch's family dock. She sneaks in the house. She goes into the house. (laughs) Yeah. Again, (laughs) the audacity. Um, She she is like, you know, she's like a like Link Goldilocks. Yeah, Yeah, she's she's like Link from uh, from Zelda, who's just like going on this random side quest, and she's like, yeah, I'm just gonna. I'm going to get the lovebirds for this guy. I'm going to go into his house. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm doing a side quest. She has no boundaries. No place (laughs) is barred to Melanie as far as she's concerned. So she leaves the lovebirds in the house. She's in the water, but Mitch spots her and he drives. Oh, does he drive to get to the dock so that he can be there when she gets to the other side. And as she's approaching the dock, a goal swoops down and pecks her. Mitch comes to the rescue and insists that she stay for dinner. Mitch is... Well, it's so great because, like, yeah, you know, like you said, they've got a good meet cue and then the second time they're gonna meet is filled with a different kind of tension. Sexual. Yeah, so (laughs) you're like you're watching this horror movie about birds and all of a sudden you're really interested in this couple and you're like into this cute moment and then boom, like a random bird comes out of nowhere and it's like, Hey, don't, don't forget. This is a bird movie. Just, just a reminder, quick reminder. Also, everything is an intentional choice. Every single beat of the romantic development between Mitch and Melanie is followed by a bird attack. Now, you know, that doesn't equal causality, but this is a movie, so it absolutely equals causality. Melanie and her unrepressed sexual Mm -hmm. desires on full display for an entire town is clearly the imbalance in nature here. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So she gets attacked by a gull, Right as they're eye-fucking each other. Uh, And then uh, Mitch says she's got to stay for dinner. And then Mitch's mother, Lydia, is not thrilled to have Melanie over. And she's just barely tolerating her. Also notice that Mitch never once refers to his mother as mom or mother. He always calls her dear or darling, which is weird. Uh, I don't, I don't know anyone. Maybe it was different in that time, but I don't know anyone who refers to their mother as dear. Hitchcock and and his characters and moms, they got to, they're all kind of weird. That's another thing that would be clear to me as an alien, not to mess with anyone's mother. Uh, So as Melanie is leaving, she and Mitch get into a fight and she drives away angrily. And then, Um, She goes back to Annie's house and Annie tells her about her relationship with Mitch and how it didn't work out because of his mother. But she insists that it's not an edible edible thing when it's like, I don't know. I mean, if it quacks like a duck um, (laughs) and if, if mother nature herself comes to intervene in this romance, are we really ready to say that it's not that? 
Um, so then um, Mitch phones Annie's house to ask Melanie to stay for his sister's birthday party. And Melanie agrees. And God, do you not just feel so sorry for Annie during these scenes? I mean, not only does she have to provide room and board to the to her successor, she has to stand there and listen while he talks to her. Ugh, it's awful. She's perfect because, yeah, she is, like, I don't know. I feel so bad for her. She's the exact opposite of Melanie in virtually every single way. Yeah. Uh, and then we get to the birthday party, Melanie and Mitch, they walk off. Melanie reveals that her mother abandoned the family when she was a kid. And as they're coming back to the party, birds begin attacking everyone. So they run inside again, <laughs> intimate moment, bird attack, right. totally linked. Uh, Kathy and Mitch want Melanie to stay the night. Uh, Lydia does not. Then the birds fly into the home through the chimney. Again, Melanie is staying for the night. <laughs> we don't like this. In come the birds. Um, so then... That is, yeah. <laughs> that is not what good people do. No. <laughs> so Mitch drives the birds out. Melanie's staying. It's final. The next day, Lydia drives out to the Fawcett property. And although it's not really mentioned, I think it's pretty much implied that Mitch and Melanie have sex while everybody is gone. Um, because they, yeah. because when Lydia comes back, they're standing outside and they're kissing and all this stuff. Yeah. The first time they kiss isn't the first time they, they've kissed. No, it's, it, it no. is not. No, 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 no. <laughs> so then Lydia finds the Fawcett family has been murdered. Their eyes have been pecked out. It's a, it's just a whole scene. Uh, and then she drives back to the house for help. How do you like when she gets there and she's between, Mitch and Melanie, and she literally shoves them aside to get through them because it's clear that that's the thing that she can't deal with right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, so Mitch goes to the faucet place with the police. Melanie has a heart to heart with Lydia, who pretty much just straight up says, I don't even know if I like you. But yeah. I still want you to go to my daughter's school and check if she's okay. So Melanie goes to Kathy's school. Uh, and this is where the famous jungle gym sequence occurs. Uh, Melanie, Tippy Hedren, sits to the right of the frame. And as she smokes a cigarette behind her, birds keep flocking to this jungle gym. And they're crows. They're huge crows. Uh, and I think that it, it feels like it was like three or four cuts, right? And then suddenly you pan and there's so many more birds there than there were before. Yeah, it um, it starts on like a, a pretty wide shot of Tippy Hedron. And then every time it cuts to the jungle gym, it just adds a couple birds. And every time it cuts back to Tippy, the camera is cutting closer and closer until it's in a close up. And then we see her reaction to the one bird flying in the air, which is scary for her. But once we see her reaction and we see the one bird, we figure, okay, yeah, there's going to be like 12 birds behind her. That's pretty scary. I have one person versus 12 birds. And then the camera tracks that one bird over and holy fuck, you've got a hundred <laughs> birds there. And it is just like, 
I, I don't like it doesn't matter how into the movie you are if if you're into the romance or you're into the mystery or if you're just completely bored by the movie all of a sudden instantly everyone's oh shit meter goes to 11 like there's no way you could be watching this movie and see this scene and just not be affected by the pure oh shitness of a hundred birds just chilling there yeah, I feel like this movie is like the common ancestor to so many thrillers and horrors because it makes me think of a movie like The Conjuring where it knows so well how to use the quiet moments to build suspense. Like the birds don't need to be attacking constantly, unrelenting with no peace. It's in the moments of silence that you're able to build this tension really effectively. And again, it's not a matter of if the birds are going to attack or if there's going to be some big twist where we learn why the birds are here. It's all about that very moment. You know exactly what's going to happen and it fills you with dread. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Oh, you know what's like you said, you know what's going to happen and there's nothing that you can do about it. Like you're totally in her shoes and it's like, Oh, this is, <laughs> this is it. And I'm just going to get pecked alive by birds, I guess. <laughs> yes. So she goes into the school and then she and Annie tell the kids that they're having a fire drill when really they're just trying to escape and they all have to run away from the birds. Uh, and it's very much like the scene in the mist when they decide to all go out in the mist together. And at first things are quiet and then it's pandemonium. Uh, Won't any of you see a lady home? <laughs> I thought of that directly. <laughs> oh my God. It totally, think of the children. <laughs> it totally, it totally made me think of that too. Yeah. Um, but you know, they make it out except one girl gets badly injured and she needs to go to the hospital. Melanie then goes to the restaurant to phone her father for help. He doesn't believe her. She tells the townspeople they don't believe her. Mitch arrives and they barely believe him. They're still really skeptical yeah. until in a very and they got like a world class ornithologist in the room. Like you know, it's they so just great. Don't care they just so they're so skeptical. Uh, and then here's when things Ooh, really, <laughs> but, but it's hard to be skeptical when the following sequence occurs and I, it feels like something right out of point break. Uh, yeah. so then we're outside, we're looking outside, gas station attendant gets attacked by a seagull, causes him to drop the gas nozzle, gasoline spills down the road, Pools beside a car, man gets out of the car, lights a cigarette or, or a cigar. And then, of course, everybody in the restaurant is telling him not to throw the match away because he's going to be covered in fire. But he can't hear them. He throws the match down. Engulfed in flames, gas station explodes. And then the birds are drawn to the literal line of fire and begin attacking everyone. So it's basically as if a barbarian on horseback rode into the town and started just spraying fire arrows. And then it just led to an all out war. But it was that sequence 
I, I'm sure people talk about that sequence, but it was very well done. And it's like, cut, 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 cut. And then everything, again, proceeds exactly as you predict. Like, you know, the guy's going to drop the match and light himself on fire. But like everybody else in the restaurant, <laughs> there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and then yeah. uh, back in the restaurant, a woman inside says what we're all thinking, which is, it's all Melanie's fault. Nothing happened until Melanie got to the town. Uh, and Melanie responds by slapping the shit out of her, which I, oh God, I love, I love when people get slapped in movies. Uh, and then, you know, I like when they get slapped and they, and they just go, yeah, I deserved it. (laughs) She knew she was being hysterical, but also I, I'm kind of, uh, I kind of agree with her thesis. It, it's Melanie's fault. Oh, yeah. She's not wrong. <laughs> but you don't get to just say that. Right. So Mitch then fortifies the house against the birds. Uh, and the family survives the night. But then Melanie goes upstairs to check on some sounds. And this sequence, again, feels very proto-horror movie the flashlight, the sounds, the silence. I think there's no score. There's no music in this movie at all. Yeah. I, now that you mention it, uh, like I, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of psycho and Bernard Herman and like the, like strong sound effects of the strings. And the only thing I can think of from the birds is just the cawing, the, you know, the, the crows right. and the the rodan screams of the of the seagulls. Right, even when Melanie yeah. is in the boat, which would be prime time for score to come in, you know, as she's going across the water to flirt with this guy in the weirdest way possible. Uh, I could totally see, you know, a sweeping string score in that section, but all you hear is the but boat. Yeah. No, yeah, I didn't even think of that. That's a good observation, though. Um, and yeah, and here too, you could have a have a whole musical thing, but nope, nope, nope. nope. Just Mitch fortifying the house, uh, and then when she goes up, it's totally quiet. Uh, Melanie just gets attacked by the birds, and she's basically violated. Like they zoom in on her hands, on her stockings, on her face. It's just this death by a thousand cuts. Uh, But she's rescued at the last minute by Mitch and Lydia. Uh, But after that, she's basically catatonic. They bandage her up. They decide that they've got to get out of there. Mitch pulls the car around to the front. Everybody gets in. They leave the farmhouse. The end. Yeah. Fate unknown. I I was really curious. So I, I looked up the birds alternate endings and wouldn't you know it. Uh, Hitchcock wanted to do one of two things. He wanted them to get to San Francisco and see that the Golden Gate Bridge was covered in birds. Oh, uh, that's like a that's like a uh, Statue of Liberty, right? Damn you all to hell! <laughs> God, that's such a wonderful moment. Um, and then the other ending he wanted to have was them going through the town and seeing that all the townspeople were just slain by the birds and then for them to barely make it out alive. 
uh, and have the birds attack them one final time while they're in the car. Yeah. That's um, like, uh, that's more like 28 days later. Right. Right. Yeah. But uh, for budget reasons, uh, they had to settle with this ending. And I, I don't know. I would have preferred the Golden Gate Bridge ending, but clearly that just was yeah. not going to happen for logistical reasons. And they already exhausted every single tool at the time that they had to work with um, these birds and, and the story that they were trying to tell. Yeah. Um yeah, I agree. That ending would have been badass, but also, whew, I don't know how they accomplished what they accomplished to get all those birds to do what they did. I'm sure this movie is probably one of those reasons why we have that uh, no animals were harmed in the making of this movie, because I don't think they were checking for that before. I thought that that was basically because of Milo and Otis. Could be, but I, you know, this is probably one of those stepping stones that led to a movie like Milo notice. Right. Like I cannot imagine that the birds had a good time making this movie. Yeah. I also think to tie it all back together to the theme of the birds being upset by Melanie's unnatural presence, the birds cease attacking when Lydia has finally taken in Melanie as someone to be nurtured and it ends not with uh, her and Mitch holding each other, but with Lydia holding her because she's catatonic and traumatized and she needs a mother's love. Yeah. uh, That's a good point. I did notice how, how easily Tippy Hedren goes to mothering uh, the girl, Kathy. Uh, She like instantly is just like, Hey, you know, uh, yeah, your birthday. Let me get you these. Let me get you a present of these two birds. Let me come to your birthday party. Let me take care of you. Once the birds start attacking you, Uh, you know, let me take you into the bathroom and I don't know, hold your hair while you throw up. Like she's taking care of the kid while the mother is not. And then she takes care of the mother while the mother's sick, after she sees the dead body and brings her tea and, and she goes to check up on Kathy at the school. And then at the end, it's like, yeah, you're right. The mom gets to finally go like, oh, it's my turn to take care of you. Well, they're no longer in competition. She's no longer right. a usurper. Yeah, it's it's a very compelling human story in the middle of you know, like they, they sold me a ticket to go see a crazy monster show, bird movie, attack, disaster flick. And you got and a family me, drama? And, and, and I got a family drama, but also I did get the badass monster flick, The you know. So, yeah. It, Hitchcock is kind of that guy who can give it to you both ways. Definitely. So, you know, the scene that I, I liked, uh, or at least the, the, the visual interesting part, uh, they did this thing where it was like three shots, uh, Mitch walking into a reaction shot, Lydia walking into a reaction shot, 
Tippy walking into a reaction shot, and then a shot following that with all three of them walking into a reaction shot together. It's similar to that scene you liked in Rear Window where the camera's stationary, but then Jimmy Stewart moves into the place where he's supposed to react. And I thought it was interesting that they decided to do that you know, three times and then all together for these people and for this moment. Did you notice that? Uh, I don't know if I noticed that specific moment, but I noticed a lot of great high angles in this movie. Um, and then also the uh, great use of low angles. Like you said, like I, Hitchcock really steps it up and takes that, you know, citizen Kaney like, Orson Welles knows how to make a movie. You know, he knows how to tell a visual story. Hitchcock takes that theory and goes, yeah, now I'm going to use the, instead of, you know, for me, it's like, eh, instead of making a boring movie about a newspaper guy and how rich he was, uh, I'm going to make a movie about birds. Hacking people. Um, You know, speaking of Orson Welles, it feels like like Orson Welles loves Dutch Angle so much. It's like his movies were made without a leveler. Uh, (laughs) And and with Hitchcock, it it feels very tasteful where it's like, I'm going to use it here and I'm going to use it here. And then... That's it. Yeah, he's British. He's British. He's a little more classy. Yeah, he's a little bit more restrained. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's there's nothing that the British do better than restraining themselves. <laughs> so are, are there other parts of this movie that you found really visually interesting that you wanted to talk about? Um, not Not that I can think of. No, I I think I'm curious and ready to start to get into r- remake territory. How about you? I think I'm ready. I think one last thing I'll say on this movie is I feel like it fits into a very specific movie category that I'm a fan of and for which I have a list on Letterbox, which is called Movies Where One Sexy Person Comes Into a Community and Drives Everyone <laughs> Crazy. I love movies like that. I love movies that it's just the presence of one incredible being is enough to disrupt the entire natural order of the universe. And that's exactly what happens in this movie. (laughs) Shira? Yes. You know what movie you are describing to a T? Which movie? A little movie called Rango. (laughs) Little character coming into town, shaking things up. (laughs) I mean, but does everybody is does everybody want does everybody think Rango's sexy? Oh yeah. <laughs> he's, he's super sexy, man. Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. He's a sex he's a he's sexiest man alive. Who's hotter? Sexiest lizard alive. Who's hotter? Tippy Hedron or Johnny Depp? Oh, Tippy Hedron. Holy smokes. I could not believe this movie was introducing Tippy Hedron. Like she was great in the movie. I thought she was absolutely fantastic. I would never have pegged this was her first time acting. Amazing face acting. Yeah. So And in Chicago, I saw this movie, and it was the first time I had seen it since I was like a little kid. And Tippi Hedren was there for a little Q&A. Oh. 
And so that was pretty crazy. And that's when I learned about, like, I thought she was, I, I did not know about all the abuse stuff and how Hitchcock basically ruined her career. And she had a very positive, healthy attitude look on it. And I thought it was very, like, I was shocked. I didn't, I didn't know any of that. So. <laughs> yeah, she seems a lot more self-possessed than some of the other Hitchcock blondes. I guess that's a good segue yeah. into asking who was your crush in the movie? Was it Tippi Hedren? Uh, no, no. I, I mean, Tippi Hedren is great in the movie, but for the crushes, I like to pick more of a side character. I liked, I liked a lot. I had, I had numerous crushes. Like if, if this was, I, I was just like a, like a high school kid and like, I just, I had a crush on everybody. I had a crush, like one guy when they're getting off the dock and her head is bleeding a little, he goes like, what happened? And and the main character goes, oh, she got attacked by a gull. And he goes, a gull? And just the way he delivers that line. Like, the townsfolk are so great in this movie. My favorite one was probably the the bartender restaurant owner guy. Who's oh, just, like, so, eavesdropping so in. So skeptical. Yeah, he's eavesdropping in on the conversation. And he just, he's got this, he's just got this way about him where he's like, I, he's he's great in the movie. Ugh, I love him. <laughs> How about you? You know, I really liked Annie. I oh, yeah. I yeah, love yeah, yeah. that she she was just this perfect foil to Tippy Hedren, Tippy Hedren, posh, blonde, rich, and then Annie dark haired, just a, and then a completely different ro- attitude, relaxed, wearing pants yeah. and working in her garden. Whereas, you know, Tippy Hedren is perfectly quaffed. Uh, and then despite everything, the women kind of have this alliance, uh, yeah. which I thought was really interesting. And I, I liked their scenes together a lot. <laughs> You know who I who I'm thinking of now. Uh, now that you're you're putting it like that, it's uh, Red Skull. That meme of Red Skull. Uh, I, I guide those to a treasure which I cannot possess myself. <laughs> <laughs> like she's got this very tragic quality about her. Where yeah, she's she's drawn to Mitch. She she moved to Bodega Bay just for Mitch. But Mitch is not into her and she knows that. And he, you know, it's just the chemistry isn't there, but she just, she wants to make him happy. And, and mm-hmm. she gets a, she gets a fantastic movie death in this movie. Uh, she it goes is, out great. Yeah. It's, it's a memorable one. It's a good one. Yeah. Great crush. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, Mitch might not be into Annie, but I am. <laughs> So, on to remake territory. How hard was this one? Uh, this one, I had a blast with it. This really? This was so easy. It was so easy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm really curious. This, this was another one where, for me, the direction I went was pretty clear, but I didn't put as much detail into my pitches as I have in the past. Uh, so, hit me with it. Now I want to know, what was your yeah. bird's rom-com? All right, I had to pull. I had to pull the reins back a little bit on this. One. I was really digging it. Uh, at first, I at first I was thinking, okay, 
I really want to focus on a bird as the protagonist and maybe like the shifter. No, just a regular plain old bird, like a raven, like a smart crow raven. And I was thinking maybe the raven could play matchmaker and try to get couples together. Like, you know, just hanging out at a park series of short films or something. And then I was like, eh, I don't know. You know, what would be really cool is if it was like a silent film with birds as the main characters because we just got done watching phase four not too long ago and you have this completely silent film story of this ant takeover this like ants learning democracy and they had, takeover they had characters the green butt yeah, ant the green, was yeah. a leader right yeah you remember the green ant he's crush worthy you those you stick with those crushes <laughs> the, you know you never forget them and so I was thinking, yeah, what if this crow had to go on an adventure and save his partner? And so the story that I came up with was uh, two crows, like a papa crow and a mama crow. And they each have, because crows mate for life, most of them. I don't think all species, but crows. species. Crow, yeah, so crows mate for life. So I was thinking both crows could have like a, a, a silver wing, a, a silver, a single silver feather on each <gasps> wing. Oh. And so it's like the like the both crows are meant for each other, like they're soulmates. And so they have a they have a nest, and you see them. You know, like crows are playful, so you see them sledding, you see them collecting trinkets. You, you know, you you see them. You know how crows will will leave nuts on a crosswalk for cars to drive over, and then when the crosswalk blinks for pedestrians, the crows will eat the cracked nuts. Like they're so smart. So you just get to hang out with these mama bird and papa birds while they're just doing bird stuff. And that would be so awesome to watch. I would watch and that then, movie. And then there's the bird lady and it's, it's this girl who I'm imagining as Imogen Poots, you know, Imogen Poots. I do. I poot it. I just got, I, yeah, I just got done watching uh, The Art of Self-Defense not too recently, and I really dug it. It's an acquired taste, for sure, but she was fantastic in the movie. And so she's got, like, big eyes, and she's very expressive. So I'm thinking this whole thing could be a silent movie. Like, you don't need any dialogue. And so this this lonely lady is at the at the park giving, you know, birds bread every, you know, Wednesday or whatever. And so the birds meet with her and then you kind of follow her for a bit and maybe she's on the, she's on the, she's on the bus. She's got a smartphone. So she's taking pictures of the birds at the park. And then maybe she's on the bus and she's, you know, she's looking at the pictures of the birds and then you go home and she's very lonely and then repeat. Mm -hmm. She's on the bus. She's lonely. She's looking at the pictures of her birds. And then one day, this guy is sitting next to her and it's Danny Trejo as this like badass looking guy. And he notices the, the crow with the silver wing. And then we follow him and he's this notorious evil Dick Dastardly silent movie villain guy who kidnaps birds and trains them to be Hollywood stars. Cause you know, if you're, if you got a movie, you got to have well-trained birds. He's a bird handler. He's a, he's an evil Dick Dastardly bird handler. And he's got a, he's got a, uh, an evil layer that's got like peacocks and ostriches and penguins and he's mean and he tortures them, you know, like, 
and he and he gets him to do tricks, but it's all cute because you know he's got a he, maybe he's got like a reel of his movies that he projects on the wall to like you know like boost his own ego, where he he watches the clips of the movies that his animals are in. And it's like, ah, oh, we wouldn't have this great entertainment without my work of training these birds for Hollywood. So he's a crazy, evil guy, right? You know, this wouldn't be believable if not for the, um, what is it, the Joe Exotic documentary when we learned about right. all those big cat people. I could see that doc guy doing stuff like this. Right. So it's like that meets the artist. I thought of the artist when I was making this, right? Modern day silent movie that, you know, they pull yeah, it off, they get yeah. it to work. And so then Cra- I-, I called him Craven because Spider-Man, Craven the hunter, he of just course. hunts animals. So I called him Craven. Craven kidnaps Mama Raven. And so Papa needs to go find her. But the problem is he's got a nest full of eggs and he can't leave the nest. Oh no, Papa! So he goes. <laughs> so he goes to Bird Lady, and she's feeding him, but he's not interested in the breadcrumbs. And so, in order to get her to follow him, he puts the breadcrumbs in a trail and leads her to his nest. And he's like, ah! And he's and he starts because you know birds can talk. The only dialogue in the movie is the bird bird speak. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, help, help. And she's like, oh, he needs my help. And so she takes his eggs and she watches the eggs while Papa Bird goes on an adventure. It's Finding Nemo. He's got to go rescue his lady. And so then how's he going to do it? Bird heist. He gets a he gets the band of he gets the band together. He gets the group together. Wait, so does he have a group of other ravens or other bird species join in on the fun? Shira, we're making a heist movie, right? You got the demolitions guy, you got the tech guy, you got the the sneaky aerobatic guy. But are they all different bird species? Like the finch is the aerobatics guy, the pigeon is the safe guy. So the hawk, the hawk (gasps) is the aerobatics guy. But the the crow has to convince all the birds to join him. So the hawk, if if you know that hawks are of of falcons, hawks and and eagles, hawks are the most aerodynamic. Right? They live in forests. They swoop around a lot. What if a team of of scientists put a tracker on a bird on his foot, and it was kind of like a heavy, you know, metalish kind of weighty tracker, and that was throwing the hawk off of his momentum. His equilibrium was off, and so the crow. They're smart. The crow figures out a way to pick the lock on the metal tracker and it falls off. And maybe they put it on like a bear or something. And so that way it's like, you know, the the old put the tracker on someone else bit. Right. Uh, And so then he helps the hawk and then the hawk is like looking at him and the crow's like, help, help. And the bird's like, ah, like, okay, like, ah. (laughs) And so then we have an owl and I'm thinking maybe an owl has like, like a, a whistle somehow attached to his to around his neck, you know, like maybe like a sports whistle and it's attached around his neck. So when he flies, it makes a whistle noise. And then the birds, the owls are, they, they get by on stealth. So owl can't have a whistle around or else it can't hunt because everyone will hear it coming. So the crow unties the whistle and the crow's like, help, help. And the owl's like, ah, like, okay. And so then maybe now we're going to just, (laughs) yeah, hoot, hoot, like, okay. (laughs) 
so then the the crow goes to us uh, uh like a, a uh what do you call them the the stores the little stores in a in a city i don't know uh and so he goes to a store and i don't know sometimes you see eccentric store owners convenience store owners have like parrots and so the crow goes up to the parrot and the crow's like help and the parrot can understand cuz parrots can talk so the parrot's like adventure and then the parrot goes to fly away, but the owner stops the parrot and like the owner packs the parrot a little lunch or something. And the parrot's like, I'm going to go on an adventure now. And the owner's like, okay, see you parrot. I'm just like a little, little cute parrot scene. And then a pigeon, maybe like a, the crow goes to a, a, a group of pigeons and drops a pea, like a, a, a fry or something. And then all the pigeons look at it and the crow's like help. And so all the pigeons know that in order to get the fry, they need to help the crow, but they're all like, eh, screw that. So they all fly away, but there's one pigeon left and it's like the toughest, most scrappiest looking pigeon. And so then the pigeon walks up and like eats the whole fry in one gulp. And so the pigeon's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm in it for the <laughs> danger. <laughs> awesome. And then maybe there's a hummingbird. Hummingbirds go into like a hibernation because, you know, they flutter and they freak out all the time. In order to get rest, they go into a deep hibernation. So maybe a hummingbird is depressed and then the crow goes up to it and somehow, like, maybe he he he, he cheers up the hummingbird. And so then the hummingbird gets energized and he's ready to go. And also, I'm going to throw in a Pixar moment. The, there's a flying squirrel who keeps trying to join the crow's adventure. Oh my and the god! Flying, <laughs> the flying squirrel. Every time the crow takes off, the flying squirrel tries to flap his his wings to follow him because the flying squirrel thinks he's a bird, so he wants to join the bird heist, right? So, but he can't because he's not a bird. There's nothing he can do to help. Nope. And so then. Uh, while all this is going on, we have the bread lady antics where something's happening with the eggs. And, you know, maybe like I, I keep thinking maybe people come over and she hides the eggs and people come over and somehow find them. And like maybe they start juggling them or something. And she's got to like go through these silent movie antics of like physical comedy. Uh, so then they go on. They, they, they have to do recon on the place and they have to come up with a plan to infiltrate it. And you just see all this cool bird stuff. Uh, so then they go in to break mama out. And then when the crow breaks mama bird out, mama bird is like, we got to save all the other birds. Right. And so then they break all the other birds out. And it's very Wally where Wally goes into space to help Eva, but he ends up helping everybody, you know? And then at some point in the movie, the the flying squirrel, and when they're at their most desperate, it'll be like Toy Story with the, the claw in Toy Story 3. Right. The, the flying squirrel will show up and save the day, and th- that'll come important later. Awesome. The, the Craven hero guy is going to self-sabotage. He is going to, at some point in the movie when he's defeated, he's going to do one final thing, and he opens up a door, and like a cat jumps out. But then the cat, because this guy's a dick to animals, the cat is like, screw the birds. He turns around and the cat tears up Craven. And so Craven gets his comeuppance. They all escape. The crow says thank you to all the birds. And all the birds do their, their cawing noises. And then they all notice the flying squirrel. So then the the our, our Papa Craven 
takes his silver wing from one of his wings and plucks it and gives it to the flying squirrel. And then all the other birds pluck a feather <gasps> from their, from them and give it to the flying squirrel. And then the flying squirrel becomes a bird and it, like a bird of every feather. And then uh, mama bird and papa bird get reunited and they go to Imogen Poot's house and Imogen Poot has made them a nice uh, birdhouse. And so they grow up there and Imogen Poot's is no She's no longer lonely because she has a family of birds hanging out. And that's the end. Just, you know, circle, circle in, iris closed, the end. <laughs> I I love it. So question for you. Do you see this as live action or? Oh, yeah. Okay. And then if you see it as live action, do you see it as live action CGI or live action physical effects like Jim Henson Company style. I, I imagine you would have to have CGI. Uh, you wouldn't want bird puppets. Well, I, I imagine you would have to have CGI, but you would want to do it smart, like Spielberg in um, in Jurassic Park, right? Like you would want to use real birds as much as possible, but you would also have to use puppets at some point because you would just have to. And right. then you would only use CGI when you would absolutely have to. Um, but yeah, the only dialogue in the movie would just be bird speak, you know, and maybe like Craven can have one moment where he's like, you know, maybe he comes up with a badass line like, I'm going to I'm going to have your wings for dinner tonight. Ah! You know, just so, like that one goes big into moment. the trailer. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but I yeah, like I just it. pictured this like like this bird movie this antic silly silent movie bird movie i think it has in black and white i think it has some nice sequel setups too because it's basically you're what you're describing is like uh an avengers movie where after this movie you can get the pigeon spinoff uh you know and and the hawk spinoff all the other birds can get their own movie exactly this is I think franchise in the making. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so, yeah. Oh, the movie is called Silver Wing. <gasps> oh, Silver Wing. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so I, I definitely went way harder into this remake than I did my Mr. and Smith remake. I was like, I was like, I'm just going to balance it out. I'll go hard into one and the other one. Uh, it, the other one's an elevator pitch. Right. But right. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely interested in yours, though. So this one is going to be a little bit shorter than yours. Uh, <laughs> I called this movie, You Stupid Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> you stupid, stupid Mitch. Um, uh. <laughs> so Annie Hayworth thought her life was perfect. She had just moved to Bodega Bay to be closer to her boyfriend, Mitch. But everything falls apart when she learns that Mitch has been seeing both her and a newspaper heiress, Melanie Daniels. Annie confronts Melanie after she leaves Mitch's family home and reveals that she's also Mitch's girlfriend. They decide to trick Mitch for revenge. Uh, and Mitch has a phobia of birds. So they decide to stage a fake bird attack on the town. Uh, and Melanie <laughs> will pay off the town. You see, like a classic She-Ra pitch, I decided to include the killer birds after all. Um, right. <laughs> 
So Melanie's going to pay off the townspeople to act their part while Annie is in charge of finding a bird handler. My movie also features a handler, but he's not the bad guy. Um, she meets a handsome bird handler named Tom. He doesn't want to have any part in the lady's scheme, but then Melanie offers him a shit ton of money and he has to accept because um, or else his bird shop will close. Yeah, something there, there's yeah. there's 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 stakes. I just hadn't come up with them yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and we reach the day of the bird attack prank, and everything goes off without a hitch until a mysterious older woman shows up by Mitch's side. Mitch is all shook up. Melanie asks the lady who she is, if she's Mitch's mother, and then the woman says, "No, I'm his wife." Mitch is married. Oh, that's the, that's the jungle gym scene. Yes. We're just building the get ready. We're building. And now Annie and Melanie are just even angrier than before. Uh, And they decide that the first prank is clearly not enough. We have to keep going. Um, So they decide they're going to stage a follow-up bird prank at Mitch's house. (laughs) But the only problem is that the fake bird attack has drawn an ornithologist to Bodega Bay to study oh, yeah. the phenomena. It's like the ant guy in phase four. Like, something weird's going on. Send the bird expert. Right, exactly. Uh, and then he's also a hot guy, too, because this is a rom-com. Uh, he's played by Chris Hemsworth. Um, (laughs) the ladies, they want to tell him the truth because obviously it's unfair to have this guy come here. Um, but the mayor of Bodega Bay forces them not to tell anyone because the town, which is a very struggling local economy, is getting a boost in visitors since the oh sh- shit yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean well i had to think what would make the town actually want to participate in pranking mitch in this way and it's because they all need money and they need to stimulate the local economy uh yeah. and then they, Mel- could, they could make like I was attacked by birds and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. Right. So you could have a bunch of gimmicks and bits in the movie where, you know, after the first attack, now there's, you know, bird toys, bird shirt, bird memorabilia. It's it's the New York, uh, New York street vendors selling Ramon stuff in alligator. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Uh, and then, of course, Melanie is attracted to the ornithologist, Jerry. Oh, yeah. uh, and then that night, Tom, that was the bird handler who's into Annie. Uh, Annie and Melanie sneak up to Mitch's house at night to pour some birds down his chimney. Uh, and why Tom as a bird handler is okay with this, we're just going to assume it's because he's falling in love with Annie at this point. Um, I'm also getting Dr. Fibes vibes here <laughs> when he's pouring the locust down. Nine <laughs> by nine. <laughs> they will pay. <laughs> so they get there, but then they overhear Mitch and his wife talking, and it's serious. They learn Uh-oh. in the overheard conversation that Mitch and his wife have a marriage of convenience. Uh, so she knows about these women that Mitch has been dating. 
but she asks him, well, why won't you just choose one woman to be with? And then if you choose one, she can grant him a divorce. At this point in their marriage, maybe the reason for the fake marriage is no longer needed. Um, And Mitch admits that he doesn't want a divorce. Uh, And then she asks, he asks her if she wants a divorce so that she could be with someone else. Uh, And then she reveals to him, there is no one else. And then they embrace. So now they now Tom and Annie and Melanie feel kind of weird about pulling this awful prank on Mitch when he's just reunited with his wife. uh, And they decide to not do it. Uh, And then after dropping Melanie off, Tom asks Annie if she's upset about Mitch and, you know, how things all turned out. And she says she's only upset that she can't be loved like that. And then, of course, Tom tells her he loves her. uh, And Uh, then they embrace. Uh, And then meanwhile, Melanie finds Jerry waiting for her at her place. And he implies that he knows that the bird attack is not real. Uh, But he decided to hang around Bodega Bay anyway for a little while. And she asks, well, why would you do that? And then, of course, he answers you. And so we Aww. end with everybody with the right person who they're supposed to be with. And maybe we can have the sun setting on two birds singing to each other in a tree. Everything's yeah. just all in harmony. Yeah. I, if this were Rango, the birds would be singing the little interludes between the Oh, the that scenes, would be great you know? to like, have like, them as a like chorus. A, yeah, like the something about Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. That's very cool. Just a, just a sweet little small town rom-com with a fake bird attack. I like that. I like that a lot. Just the, the, it, it's so, it's something just like, I think Mr. and Mrs. Smith or something. It's just something so stupid. But once you commit to it, and once you decide this is what my movie's going to be about, Let's just have fun with it. Like, yeah, like you said, getting the townsfolk in and getting that moment where like, this is good for everyone. Right. I feel like if you're yeah. going if you're going to set up a, a sort of heisty prank caper, then you have to set up that moment where it gets bigger than the people involved in the scheme right. to where it's no longer in their control to stop this fake bird attack, the the lie has snowballed. I don't know. I always love right. it when movies do that. Yeah, and if and by stopping it, like, um, I don't know. Yeah, you. I'll I'll cut this out. You you put a good period on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it looks like we are wrapping up for today. So before we get into our love bites, our recommendations for the evening. Uh, where you can find us. We are on Twitter and Facebook at Necromancer Pod. We are on Instagram at the Necromancer Podcast. And you can email us at necromancerpodcast at gmail.com. And, and I did just start our YouTube channel as of this recording. I'm going to need to make sure that we have all of our episodes uploaded at some point soon. 
Um, probably by the time you listen to us, I should have that figured out, but mm-hmm. you can find us on YouTube too now. So oh, that's very nice. That'll be something as well. Just don't be a troll. Uh, right. <laughs> all right. Now getting into love bites. What would you like to recommend? Uh, did you ever see the autopsy of Jane Doe? No. Okay. It's on Netflix. It is a fantastic movie and i think it's very hitchcockian um and it's kind of got like a a birds um the i keep i keep mentioning the void on here if anyone's familiar with the void it's like uh it's got a really strong first three quarters but then maybe they ran out of budget and they couldn't quite finish it the way they wanted to uh I, th- I think the birds, the birds goes, the birds runs good a lot longer, but then the ending is just like, ah, if only we had that money, the void, the last th- like three quarter or the last one quarter of the void is a little like, ah, they, they just ran out of money. What, what can you do? Uh, autopsy of Jane Doe is the same way. It's not about why the birds are attacking. It's, you know, it's the, the the why doesn't matter you're you're in it for the story um and so the autopsy of jane doe you're trying to figure out how this lady died and it's interesting because she's uncovered this jane doe is uncovered under really mysterious circumstances and these two coroners have to figure out how she died but very quickly into the autopsy you start to realize nothing is as it seems and crazy crazy weird stuff is going on and the movie escalates at a fantastic pace and then maybe it just stumbles a little bit at the very end like maybe they ran out of money or something but like it's it's not about that it's about that journey of figuring out the the detective mystery of what killed this lady and maybe like old boy ish where it's like the closer we get to finding out the truth Maybe we don't want to know the truth. Ooh. Uh, and I think I think it has fantastic editing. The editing is top notch in this movie. It's it's Oscar level editing. I thought it was fantastic. So yeah, if if you want a, another tense mystery thriller, uh, yeah, Autopsy of Jane Doe, really good. That sounds really intriguing. Oh, and it's got Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch. So you got the original Hannibal the Cannibal. And Speed Racer. Ah. Movie together. Very nice. How about you? What's your love bite? So, you know me, I love going with the theme. So, I'm going to recommend a Hitchcock movie. And I'm going to recommend one that doesn't get talked about as often as Rear Window or Vertigo or The Birds. There's a little movie that Hitchcock made called The 49 Steps. Have you seen it? I have not. He made, is this the one he made two versions of? I'm not sure. Um, The 49 Steps, the thing that it's most famous for is this climactic scene at the top of the Statue of Liberty. Uh, But for the majority of the movie, it has a really fun, for me as a rom-com fan, forced proximity setup where the lead guy 
handcuffs himself to this woman and they are forced to remain handcuffed to each other for a majority of the movie. Uh, Isn't that a Jennifer Aniston movie? I don't know. I don't know about. Did they like remake that? I mean, but you know, clearly that setup of people handcuffed together is rich enough that it's been repeated multiple times, but I'm just, you know, I'm tickled. For, forced proximity is is one of my catnip tropes, uh, and I think that as always, Hitchcock does it very deftly here. Very nice, yeah. I, I've heard about it, so I'll definitely go out of my way to watch it. If you only watch <clears throat> one scene, you should watch the um, the Statue of Liberty scene, which is really gotcha. cool. But it's at the end, right? Uh yeah, but no, I mean, I'm gonna watch the whole movie. <laughs> it's one of those. It's one of those things where it's it's like uh, if you only had to watch that one part, that would be the part right. to watch. Gotcha. Uh, oh, and I just wanted to mention, uh, the birds is available on NBC's streaming service Peacock. Hitchcock which on I Peacock thought was funny. Yeah, the birds, Peacock, the birds, Hitchcock on ah. Peacock. <laughs> That's yeah. great. All right. Well, I guess that's all for today. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.